Hey, Crypt Keepers, I want to tell you about our exciting new affiliation with Parabox. Parabox is a t-shirt subscription box with a twist. Each month, you will receive a new paranormal soft style tea and info card about that month's theme. The shirt and card will contain clues to finding a hidden password for use on their website. You'll also find clues to next month's theme. Correct entries get entered in a raffle for free gear. The shirts are unique. They're pretty dope with designs about all your favorite paranormal stuff like Black Eyed Kids, Bigfoot, Nazca Lines, and a really cool Battle of Los Angeles tee. That's one I'm hoping I will get here sometime soon. The designs are silk screened onto a soft style tee that's super comfortable. From the moment you open your pair box, you'll be so engrossed by the t-shirt, you'll forget there's a puzzle built into it. That's right, each shirt contains a secret password. It can be in the form of codes, ciphers, riddles, numbers, images, or other hidden gems. Have fun exploring the design and putting the pieces together to figure out where to go next. Get your exclusive link in the show notes, and we get a little kickback when you sign up for the box, so you can support the show while getting cool swag with mysteries in the process. Hey Crypt Keepers, welcome to another episode of Cryptique. This episode was originally supposed to be part two of the organ harvesting episode, but we went long and decided to dedicate an entire episode to the CCP's other target, Uyghurs. We ask that you like, subscribe, and most importantly, share to get the word out. So, let's talk about the CCP's persecution of ethnic Muslims in China, also known as the Uyghurs. Falun Gong practitioners aren't the only targets of organ harvesting and persecution in China. Let's talk briefly about the concentration camps and forced labor and China's repression of the Uyghurs. Now, we're not talking about vanilla ice when we're talking about the Uyghurs. There's more and more evidence of China's human rights abuses in Xinjiang. We'll be covering a Vox.com article by Jen Kirby. Yeah. So... A Uyghur named Jewer, can't make this stuff up, people. (laughs) Um, So basically, the Uyghurs are ethnic Muslims, right? Yeah, so just so you know, these people are being targeted basically for their religious beliefs. But in any case, Jewer Ilam, and I apologize, I'm sure I'm getting that name wrong, said she had not heard from her father since 2017. Her dad, Elam Todi is an economics professor and prominent Uyghur intellectual in Zhejiang, China. He ran a website, Uyghur Online, that focused on issues pertaining to the Muslim ethnic minority group. Chinese authorities repeatedly shut down the website. Jewer says the family received death threats. Chinese authorities also disappeared her father multiple times before detaining him in 2014 and quickly finding him guilty on separatism charges. He was sentenced to life in prison. 
Because her father was a political prisoner, the family could visit him every few months, but then the Chinese government cut off access entirely. Jewer's father was targeted by the Chinese government for his advocacy of Uyghur rights, but in recent years the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, has arbitrarily detained as many as 3 million Uyghurs in so-called, quote, re-education centers. Do you think that the Nazis called the death camps death camps? Doubt it. They probably called them something a little bit more like re-education centers. But in any case, the CCP forced them to undergo psychological indoctrination programs such as studying communist propaganda and giving thanks to Chinese President Panda Bear. (laughs) Come at me, Xi Jinping. Chinese officials have also reportedly used waterboarding and other forms of torture, including sexual abuse, as part of the indoctrination process. So if you don't know what waterboarding is, basically they put like a sack, like maybe a, a burlap sack or something over your head and continually they you know strap you to a chair, tilt you back like you would be at the dentist office or whatever, and pour water on your face yeah. and it makes you feel like you're drowning. So... Researchers from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute using satellite imagery and other evidence have documented more than 380 re-education camp detention centers and prisons in Xinjiang, with at least 61 having been expanded or updated within the last year. It is the largest mass internment of an ethnic religious minority group since World War II. It is the largest mass internment of an ethnic religious minority group since World War II. So, how many reasons do you need to take that fucking Chinese star sticker off the back of your mom's Honda Accord and realize that this is not the government that you want? The concentration camps are the most extreme example of China's inhumane policies against the Uyghurs, but the entire population is subject to repressive policies. China has used mass surveillance to turn Xinjiang into a high-tech police state. Uyghurs inside and outside the camps are exploited for cheap labor and forced to manufacture clothing and other products for sale both at home and abroad. A recent investigation found evidence that Chinese authorities subjected Uyghur women to mass sterilization forcing them to take birth control or have abortions and putting them in camps if they resist. Some have argued this attempt to control the Uyghur population meets the United Nations definition of genocide. Boom. The Chinese government, however, claims that the camps are merely vocational and training centers and that they're teaching people job skills. It has justified the oppression in Xinjiang as an attempt to clamp down on terrorism and extremism emanating from the Uyghur separatist movement. There have been incidents of violent unrest over the years, including a few deadly terrorist attacks, and at least one Uyghur extremist group in the region, the East Turkestan Islamic Movement, has ties to Al-Qaeda and the global jihadist movement. But most experts say Beijing's repression and subjugation of millions of Uyghurs is vastly disproportionate to the comparatively minor terror threat in the region. As more and more reports of the atrocities happening in Zhejiang are revealed, the international community is grappling with how to punish China for its abuses. Yeah, it's kind of hard to 
punish China because everybody gets everything that's not oil from China. So the United States recently imposed sanctions on Chinese officials involved in persecuting the Uyghurs and punished companies believed to be reliant on Uyghur forced labor. Advocates and bipartisan groups of lawmakers are calling for more forceful action. And the House of Representatives passed overwhelmingly bipartisan legislation that requires companies to prove products from the Xinjiang region are not made with coerced Uyghur labor. How are they going to find that out? You know, are they going to call and be like, they're, they're just not right. So the persecution of the Uyghurs continues and in full view of the world. Jewer said, quote, I don't think there's any other words to put for this action. She said, I think it's genocide. It's genocide, period. Xinjiang, where there are about 11 million Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities live, is an autonomous region in China's northwest that borders Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Mongolia. It has been under Chinese control since 1949 when the People's Republic of China was established. Uyghurs speak their own language, an Asian Turkic language similar to Uzbek, and most practice a moderate form of Sunni Islam. Some activists, including those who seek independence from China, refer to the region as Eastern Turkestan. Once situated along the ancient Silk Road trading route, Xinjiang is oil and resource rich. As it developed along with the rest of China, the region attracted more Han Chinese, a migration encouraged by the Chinese government. That demographic shift inflamed ethnic tensions, especially within some of the larger cities. In 2009, riots broke out in... Urumqi, the capital of Xinjiang, after Uyghurs protested their treatment by the government and the Han majority. About 200 people were killed and hundreds injured during the unrest. The Chinese government blamed the protests on violent separatist groups, a tactic it would continue to use against the Uyghurs and other religious and ethnic minorities across China. The Chinese government justifies its clampdown on the Uyghurs and Muslim minorities by saying it's trying to eradicate this extremism in separatist groups. Attacks, some violent by Uyghur separatists, have occurred in recent years, and some Uyghurs have become foreign fighters joining groups like ISIS. But there's little evidence of any cohesive separatist movement, with jihadist roots or otherwise, that could challenge the Chinese government. Xinjiang is also a major logistics hub of Beijing's ambitious Belt and Road Initiative, a trillion-dollar infrastructure project along the old Silk Road meant to boost China's economic and political influence around the world. Xinjiang's increasing importance to China's global aspiration is a major reason Beijing is exerting its control in the region. I, I don't support <clears throat> ISIS or Al-Qaeda, obviously, but if, if this happened, to, say if you were 10 years old and you were part of a weaker family and they took your parents and killed them and took their organs, that's causing right. extremism. Right. They're doing the opposite of what they should be doing if they gave them rights, you know, like like religious freedom. Maybe the extremism wouldn't happen. Let's talk about China's crackdown on the Uyghurs. It was initially part of a policy of, quote, de-extremification. Beijing imposed draconian restrictions in Xinjiang intended to erase the Uyghurs' Islamic, religious, and cultural identity, including imprisoning hundreds of thousands in so-called re-education camps. 
China has a dark history with re-education camps, combining hard labor with indoctrination to the party line. Chinese officials began using dedicated camps in Xinjiang around 2014, around the same time that China blamed a series of terrorist attacks on radical Uyghur separatists. If China, obviously they don't give a shit about any of their, you know, residents, so why not? You, you know, blow something up somewhere, kill a bunch of people and blame it on the Uyghurs. That's how you get people on your side. But in any case... In 2016, Xinjiang also got a new leader, a powerful Communist Party boss named Chen Quango, whose previous job was restoring order and control to Tibet. We know how China has treated Tibet, so. Chen has a reputation as a strongman and is something of a specialist in ethnic crackdowns. The United States placed human rights sanctions on Chen and other Chinese officials in Xinjiang. Chen, quote, is responsible for the system that used technology to round up Uyghurs at such a rapid pace. Not only in Xinjiang, but also similar models of convenience-style police stations were sort of tested in the Tibet region prior to being deployed in the Xinjiang context, said Olivia Enos, a senior policy analyst at the Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation. Increased and aggressive mass surveillance and police presence accompanied his move to Xinjiang, including his, quote, grid management policing system. As The Economist reported, quote, authorities divide each city into squares with about 500 people. Every square has a police station that keeps tabs on the inhabitants. So in rural areas, every village has kind of its own little police station like this. Security checkpoints where residents must scan ID cards were set up at train stations and on roads into and out of towns. Authorities have reportedly used facial recognition technology to track residents' movements. Chinese officials also reportedly took blood and DNA samples, framed as mandatory checkups. Hmm. So they're taking your blood and DNA uh, just to make sure you're okay. That's awfully kind. Police confiscate phones to download the information contained on them to scan through later or track Uyghurs through their cell phones. Police have also confiscated passports to prevent Uyghurs from traveling abroad. Uyghurs abroad say their families are targeted by Chinese officials, part of a pressure campaign to keep the movement from speaking out. Some of the targeted, quote, de-extremification restrictions gained coverage in the West, including a ban on certain Muslim names for babies and another on long beards and veils. They wouldn't like me. I've got a long beard, so. I just want to cover this real quick. On Mysterious Universe, they talked about a Uyghur that had told stories where the government will go as far as to go to your apartment and say, no, you have to paint it red to match the CCP. And that they actually have cameras in their house to keep track of them. And the only way that they can communicate with each other about non-pro-Chinese Communist Party comments is by going into the kitchen putting like a notepad in the sink and writing on the notepad for the next person to come and see you know their husband or their kids or whatever so that's how tight the government is squeezing these people and I believe she also said that 
when you go to markets, there's Uyghur lines and yep. non-Uyghur lines. I remember this episode. I remember the story talking about that girl who escaped and how she couldn't even talk to her family afterward. It was mm-hmm. they had to post like kind of cryptic, like just status updates on whatever whatever the is it WeChat or whatever the TikTok sort of. <laughs> no, it wasn't TikTok, but yeah, it was whatever like the the you know sort of Chinese equivalent to Facebook was like. You know, that she had to tell her mother that she had a kid, I think, like was married and had a child. And, you know, she put out like some sort of generic post that wasn't directed at anybody. And then her mother put out like a generic post about like, oh, I'm so proud of this and whatever. And it's it's really sad to think that that's the way people have to live for no reason. Like that's I think that's what's like scariest about a lot of the stuff that we hear about the CCP is there's like there's no good reason why it needs right. to happen you know like the, there are bad things that happen for with good intentions sure but it's really difficult to tell what kind of good intentions there might have been behind this stuff it's evil for the sake of evil basically yeah, it's like how can we just fuck stuff up more yeah and this this woman too reported i don't remember if it was specifically her or i think it was her but uh, part of her re-education camp training was that they tied her up in a chair and let her sit in the sun for like eight hours until her skin became burned, blistered, you know, just horrible. If you've ever had a sunburn, you know what we're talking about. It's it's not quite the same thing as like pulling out fingernails or something like that, but it's torture. Uh, I mean, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. In October 2019, Radio Free Asia, a news agency backed by the U.S. government, hmm, that's interesting too, like you're backing a news agency? I mean, I guess, you know, you could say, we'll step in if something happens to you for reporting this, but you could also use it for American propaganda. So, anyway, this news agency reported that Han Chinese men were being sent to check in on and sometimes sleep with Uyghur women, including those whose husbands were detained in the camps. Evil for the sake of evil. Uh, so there's a program called the Pair Up and Become Family, and it's designed to, quote, promote ethnic unity, one official explained. Chinese officials have justified these policies as necessary to counter religious radicalization and extremism, but critics say they are explicitly meant to curtail Islamic traditions and practices. According to James Millward, finally an easy name, a professor (laughs) at Georgetown, the Chinese government is, quote, trying to expunge ethno-national characteristics from the people. They're not trying to drive them out of the country. They're trying to hold them in. We'll talk about re-education camps after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. So these re-education camps, and that's in quotes, or training camps, as they are also called in China, are perhaps the most sinister pillar of this de-extremification policy. Experts estimate that as many as 3 million people 
have disappeared into these camps at some point, with about 1 million currently being held. China is holding 1 million people in concentration camps. At first, the Chinese government denied these camps even existed. China's state-run media at one time dismissed the reports of detention camps as Western media, baselessly criticizing China's human rights. That sounds like an oxymoron, China's human rights. <laughs> right. China has since stopped pretending that the camps aren't real. Instead, the government is trying to cast them as both lawful and innocuous. In October 2018, Chinese officials effectively legalized the, quote, education camps for the stated goal of eradicating extremism. Later that month, a government official in Xinjiang, who was himself an ethnic Uyghur, compared the detention centers to, quote, boarding schools and its detainees to students. Oh, no, 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 no. They're just boarding schools and they're students. Many trainees have said that they were previously affected by extremist thought and had never participated in such kinds of arts and sports activities. Well, what are they going to say? You know, like, hey, either you say what we've written for you or we're going to let ants eat your face alive. Of course, you're going to say whatever they tell you to say. Now they realize how colorful life can be, Xinjiang Governor Shorat Zakir reportedly told Xinhua, China's state-run news agency. What's really going on in the camps is difficult to know because of China's disinformation campaign and tight clampdown on information. Leaked official documents and chilling first-hand accounts from people detained in the camps have helped outside experts and researchers put together a disturbing portrait of the abuses that take place there. These camps are much more like prisons than so-called boarding schools. A 2018 report by Agence France Presse described camps in which thousands of guards carried spiked clubs, tear gas, and stun guns to surveil detainees who were held in buildings surrounded by razor wire and infrared cameras. So you went to a private school growing up, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was it surrounded by razor wire and infrared cameras? No, we didn't need that. We had a couple old nuns around still, so they were scarier than any of <laughs> standing no. at the gate with a a ruler. This time they're no, they're carrying a yardstick this time. Oh yeah. Major battle sword, you better they watch mean, out. That <laughs> means they mean business. Nothing nothing like that. I've never seen razor wire around a private school but i assume there are military schools that you know people have gone to that may be more like a military experience like a military base where they may you know have fences and stuff up and cameras afp journalists also reviewed public documents showing that government agencies overseeing the camps purchased 2768 police batons 550 electric cattle prods about 1,400 pairs of handcuffs, and about 3,000 cans of pepper spray. An investigation by Reuters in 2018 also found that according to satellite imagery, 39 suspected camps almost tripled in size between April 2017 and August 2018. The report stated that, quote, collectively, the built-up parts in these 39 facilities now cover an area roughly the size of 140 soccer fields, the report said. And of course, in America, we can picture exactly how big a soccer field is, right? No, most of us have no idea, but it's big. <laughs> 
According to the BBC, detainees were never allowed to escape and their, quote, behavioral violations would bring discipline and punishment. The documents ordered surveillance of dorm rooms and classrooms. Leaked drone footage appears to show hundreds of Uyghur prisoners blindfolded and handcuffed being transferred by train. Huh. Wasn't there some other time in history where people were loaded up on trains and sent off to places that were surrounded by razor wire? Yep, I think the one fairly well-known one. Yeah, so... In any case, and there's evidence that China is continuing to expand the detention of the Uyghurs even beyond the re-education camps. China has claimed since that detainees had graduated and been released, rejoining society because of their indoctrination program worked. It's going to look like it worked because you basically told people you're going to kill them and take their organs if they don't toe the line. In August, BuzzFeed News used satellite imagery to document detention facilities built since 2017, and that's one in every county in Xinjiang province. According to BuzzFeed, as China sought to detain people, they repurposed government buildings, but over time these sites have become fortified and more and more prison-like. A report released by the Australian Strategic Policy Institute also found China's network of detention centers continuing to grow. ASPI documented 380 centers that have been built or expanded since 2017, like we said, and at least 60 new facilities have been built or expanded between July 2019 and July 2020 alone. About half are more heavily secured facilities, maximum security prisons. So we have multiple sources from different countries that are reporting the same thing, that these facilities are growing in size and frequency across Xinjiang. Mm-hmm. So, the Chinese government continues to target Uyghurs outside the camps. You want to tell us about that? In February 2020, a leaked 137-page spreadsheet from Karakax County in Xinjiang. I don't know if that's right, Karakax. That sounds like something to be in, like, North Dakota. Uh, showed exactly how Uyghur families were tracked by authorities. The spreadsheet contained 300 names of Uyghur families, including the identities of people committed to concentration camps and those whom officials were monitoring. Some of those being tracked were as young as 16. Among the things that caught the attention of authorities were obtaining a passport, whether or not they traveled, praying regularly, or even wearing a beard, according to the New York Times. And saying wearing a beard is kind of an old-school way of doing that. But Yeah. Anyway... Uh, family members, so I would just say that I'm not wearing hair. Not that I've shaved my head or, <laughs> or anything. There you go. Uh, family members were monitored for participating in religious ceremonies like funerals or weddings. Uyghurs were also sent to camps if they violated China's birth restrictions. Additional research by Zens and the Associated Press in 2020 bolstered this finding, showing that Chinese officials were systematically trying to stop Uyghur women from having children under the threat of internment if they violated the rules. According to the report, the state regularly subjects minority women to pregnancy checks and forces intrauterine devices, sterilization, and even abortion on hundreds of thousands, the interviews and data show. Even while the use of IUDs and sterilization has fallen nationwide, it is rising sharply in Xinjiang. The research backs up anecdotal reports from women detained in the camps who say that they were forced to undergo examinations and abortions. In December 2017, Gulgira Mod- Mogden, 
Mm. A 38-year-old ethnic Cossack and Chinese citizen was detained in Xinjiang and put under house arrest. She told the Washington Post in October of 2019 that during her detention, she'd been forced to undergo a physical examination. She was 10 weeks pregnant. A month later, doctors terminated her pregnancy against her will. Two humans were lost in this tragedy, my baby and me, Mogden told the Post. Inside these camps, detainees were reportedly subjected to bizarre exercises aimed at brainwashing them, as well as physical torture, rape, and sleep deprivation. Millward, the Georgetown professor, said the Chinese authorities see the camps as a kind of conversion therapy, and they talk about it that way. A source also told Radio Free Asia in 2018 that a Chinese official had referred to the re-education process as similar to spraying chemicals on the crops. That's pretty harsh, right? Yeah. So basically, if you thought that in the late 1930s, 1940s, that Germany, even though they got Italy and Japan to join them, if you thought that they were a force to be reckoned with, think about China. China is doing awful things to its people. They're basically saying, fuck you to the world, we don't care. There's some people I don't like in this neighborhood. I would not want to take them, put them in a school, and try and torture them until they realize that going 45 down a street where kids play is not okay. My solution, if I had my choice, just go move someplace else. I just don't want you here. Yeah. And they're not doing that. It seems like for China, it would be easy for them to just say, if you're a Uyghur, you have a month to get the fuck out. But they're not doing that, which means that these Uyghurs are important to them somehow, right? Because they're getting something out of them. Otherwise, why wouldn't they just want them to all leave? They're getting forced labor and who knows what else. Just think about that. You think about uh, Nazi Germany, China's right there, right now. So, right. The Washington Post published an account from Kerat Samarkand, who was detained in one of the camps for three months. The 30-year-old stayed in a dorm with 14 other men. After the room was searched every morning, he said the day began with two hours of studies on subjects including the spirit of the 19th Party Congress, where Xi expounded his political dogma in a three-hour speech and China's policies on minorities and religion. Inmates would sing communist songs. They would chant, long live Xi Jinping, and do military-style training in the afternoon before writing accounts of their day, he said. Those who disobeyed the rules, refused to be on duty, engaged in fights, or were late for studies were placed in handcuffs and ankle cuffs for up to 12 hours. And this is all a quote from Kairat Samarkand. And I'm probably saying that wrong, but, you know, you guys are used to it by now. <laughs> At a July 2018 hearing of the Congressional Executive Commission on China, a special bipartisan committee set up by Congress to monitor human rights in China, Jessica Batke, a former research analyst at the State Department, testified that, quote, in at least some of these facilities, detainees are subject to waterboarding, being kept in isolation without food and water, and being prevented from sleeping. They are interrogated about their religious practices and about having made trips abroad, Batke continued. 
They are forced to apologize for the clothes they wore or for praying in the wrong place at the wrong time. Scary stuff. Yeah. It's brainwashing, but I think that there's probably more to it than than that. They're getting organs or they're getting uh, free labor. That's my thoughts. But tell us about the increasing use of forced Uyghur labor. Beyond the detention camps, there is now growing evidence that Uyghurs are being forced to work in Chinese factories. Given the ubiquity of Chinese manufacturing, that almost certainly means that the exploitation of Uyghurs is embedded within global supply chains. Which, we already know, Apple has had stuff traced back to factories that are probably using this. Yep. Uh, Disney thanked like the provincial government for, I think, where this concentration camp is. You know, the idea being that some of this labor was used in the production of, I think, Mulan. Mm. Uh, when they film that, because I think they film most of that in China. Anyway, uh, it is becoming, this is a quote, it is becoming increasingly hard to ignore the fact that goods manufactured in East Turkestan have a high likelihood of being produced with forced labor. That is a quote from Nuri Turkel, chair of the board of the Uyghur Human Rights Project, as told to Congress in October 2019, using East Turkestan to refer to Xinjiang. Or Xinjiang. I think I've been switching my pronunciation back and forth. You're on the right route. <laughs> I knew you'd make a reference. The forced labor is happening both within Xinjiang and in other parts of China, according to recent reports. A March 2020 report from the Congressional Executive Commission on China also found Uyghur forced labor taking place within internment camps. According to a report from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, at least 80,000 Uyghurs were taken from Xinjiang and transferred to various factories around China between 2017 and 2019. Some Uyghurs were taken directly from concentration camps to the factories. Uyghurs were under constant surveillance and forced to undergo Mandarin language instruction and other political teachings in their free time. Most critically, though, they cannot leave. In July of 2019, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation reported a story of a Uyghur woman, 38-year-old Dilner, who was sent to an internment camp along with her husband. In May, Dilner had contacted her sister in Australia to tell her that she'd been taken from the camps to send to work in a technology factory in Urumqi which I'm sure is the wrong way to pronounce that. 660 people are brought in shackled and handcuffed, and it is big, she wrote. Again, it's hard to get full information out of China's tightly controlled system, but leaked documents and testimony from some workers who've been forced into factories offer compelling evidence. The revelations raise serious questions for the global supply chain and anyone who buys goods that at one point pass through China, and it's really hard to avoid products that have at least had some component made in China. Right, exactly. And it's also not... I mean, they don't seem villainous either to interact with them. I have interacted with people in Chinese factories, you know, like ordering mm -hmm. engineering samples and things like that. And they're... They seem just like anybody else, you know? It's a facade. Yeah, but I mean, it, it would be easy to think like, oh, the guy I deal with on a weekly or monthly basis or whatever, like, there's no way they're doing something like that there. Yeah. And all the people I've talked to are very personable, but it was a relatively small sample size, I'll admit. Sure. Uh, the ASPI found that at least 27 suspected factories are using laborers from Xinjiang, which potentially have connections to 83 major global brands. 
The Xinjiang region specifically is a major cotton hub for China, meaning that this cotton might end up in the final products of many different clothing lines. The Washington Post and ASPI found that the South Korean-owned Qingdao <laughs> Taekwong Shoes Company, oh God, in Lyxi, China, oh man, this is this is humiliating. A Nike supplier for decades employs about 700 Uyghur workers. I wonder if people care that I can't pronounce anything. Think it bothers anybody? No. Is it charming? No. <laughs> <I don't... laughs> All right. Though they could not confirm that the Uyghurs were forced to work, eyewitnesses told the Post that the workers weren't allowed to leave freely. Nike has since said it's in contact with suppliers to assess potential risks related to the employment of Uyghurs. Other companies like Apple have said that they found no evidence of forced labor but are monitoring their sources. And that I did see that statement from Apple. So another recent investigation in the New York Times found that forced Uyghur labor is being used to make personal protective equipment, specifically those disposable surgical face masks that are pervasive in the time of COVID-19. Uh, and I will just kind of like go back to what I said about China, Disney and all that. Mm-hmm. There's a strong possibility that if they are using forced labor, these companies don't know. Right. You know, it's Apple doesn't run factories in China. Right. Apple hires a factory in China. Like they'd send them the schematics, like build this thing for us. They, it is not Apple overseeing it. Tim Cook is not sitting in an office, like looking down over the shop floor. Yeah. But think about this. Like if you go to, I would assume that these companies don't just say, oh, let's try China. Like they, you know, test other markets. Like we can make you uh, blank t-shirts to put your Nike logos on for $1.75 a shirt. And then you go to the Xinjiang province and they're like, oh, we can do it for 36 cents a shirt. You have to stop and think a second. You know what I mean? Like if it's being... If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And I think that's kind of what's happening. You know, it's like we we don't have any proof, so we're going to keep an eye on it. But are you really looking? I mean, are you really investigating and thinking like, oh, well, um, I can make these shirts for 35 cents in China, so why would I go someplace else? But your profit is basically on the back of slaves so they you know they say oh well, we have no evidence well you didn't look very hard we'll tell you about Uyghur rights groups after a quick break welcome back crypt keepers More than 72 Uyghur rights groups and 100 civil society groups worldwide launched a campaign to end forced Uyghur labor, demanding companies stop sourcing cotton, yarn, textiles, and finished products from Xinjiang, and for companies to cut ties with suppliers implicated in forced labor schemes. The fact that the world is finally starting to pay attention is important, but it's not nearly enough. Activists say governments and international institutions need to do more to pressure China. Uyghurs in the movement are pushing for the International Criminal Court to investigate China for genocide and other atrocities. Naomi Kikoler, director of the Simon Scott Center, 
for Prevention of Genocide at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, said there are reasonable grounds to believe that China is responsible for crimes against humanity. However, because China doesn't recognize the ICC's jurisdiction, that method might have its limits. Some U.S. lawmakers have been pushing for the U.S. to get tougher on China on the Uyghur issue, and the State Department has advocated for the Uyghurs as part of its religious freedom initiatives. Trump signed into law the Uyghur Human Rights Policy Act of 2020, which imposes sanctions on foreign individuals and entities involved in abuses in Xinjiang and requires the president to periodically send Congress a list identifying foreign individuals and entities responsible for such human rights abuses. So all you people that are like total Trump haters and think he's a just a horrible person, which may be true, but uh, this is a step that he took. So I always hear people complain about politicians, but they complain about the person. They don't complain about their stance on issues or the things that they've done. So this is a good yeah. thing that, you know, people can look at and say, hey, at least somebody's trying to do something. Right. Yeah. The U.S. has also placed sanctions on the Xinjiang Public Security Bureau and its director, Wang Mingshan. <laughs> I like how I hit that inflection so hard at the end. Like mean, Sean? Good enough. You know, it's it's my way of like apologizing. I I think you might be upset with me. Yeah, I think you might be upset with me, like you the, the listener. Right. And I am also unhappy with me. But anyway, yeah, it's the sanctions on the Public Security Bureau and the director under the Global Magnitsky Act, which targets human rights abusers around the world. The U.S. sanctions angered China, and Beijing retaliated by sanctioning U.S. officials such as Senator Marco Rubio and Representative Chris Smith, who have been some of the most prominent voices in Congress in condemning China's abuse of the Uyghurs. The U.S. also blacklisted 11 Chinese companies because of their ties to human rights abuses in Xinjiang, which means those companies can't easily access U.S. technology or products. At least nine of the companies had ties to forced Uyghur labor, including some named in the ASPI report that were connected to major clothing brands. The Trump administration also put new restrictions on clothing, technology, and hair products from certain companies linked to forced Uyghur labor. It's already illegal for Americans to import any goods made with forced labor, but the naughtiness of supply chains has made this harder to detect. The Trump administration's tougher approach towards China on the Uyghur issue also comes as the administration has sought to put increasing pressure on China over its handling of the coronavirus pandemic. Tensions between Washington and Beijing are escalating, and the tit-for-tat is sinking the relationship between the two superpowers. New details about atrocities inside the camps have added even more of a sense of urgency, though there's still more to be done. Bipartisan lawmakers in the House of Representatives passed the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, which would require that companies prove any product sourced from Xinjiang did not involve forced labor and would compile a list of Chinese companies that relied on forced labor. Some advocates are also calling on consumers to boycott products that might have been made using Uyghur labor. And that's something we can all do if we think that something's been made under human rights violations, we can boycott. But if you don't think that Trump and Biden and Obama and all the people in Congress and all the people in Senate, if you think they don't have stock in Apple and Nike and some of these other companies that have been tied, you're out of your mind. They have stakes in this and they don't care 
as much as they claim to care. They put out statements where they basically kind of call these people out, but they don't pull their stock out, right? They don't they don't say, well, I'm not going to have a stock that, you know, has risen 62% over the past 10 years because they're using Uyghur labor. You know, they're they're doing all this stuff is for it's for like it's PR. Yeah, it's the, it's for their image. Right. I mean, they all own stock in all these companies. They, you know, they get kickbacks, they get people that donate mm-hmm. to their campaigns and how else can people go into Congress worth $150,000 and come out worth 6 million, you know? Right. So, right. final thoughts? This was uh depressing in that it was predictable. Yeah. You know, I've heard stuff like this before. It's it is sad. But so anyway, just to wrap things up, kind of put a bow on it, China is stealing people, Falun Gong, killing them. Take and we forgot to talk about this, but in many of these cases, the the people that have come out and said this is going on are saying that these operations are done without anesthesia and while the people are awake. So China is literally stealing people off the streets because they practice something that's not even a religion, taking their organs and just stockpiling cash over it. Then they target Uyghurs and they use them for forced labor. Now, you know, these Uyghurs are probably being paid like three cents an hour or something like that. So it's actually just so it can be considered a job. I mean, communist China is Nazi Germany. Yeah, I'm there with you. For sure. government runs everything. You don't get any kind of vote. You don't get any kind of say. You do what they tell you or you fucking die. That's all we've got for you tonight. We hope you're appalled at everything you learned. Learn what you can do to help at StopOrganHarvesting.org. StopOrganHarvesting.org Do a good deed and plaster this on social media to help spread the word. Like, subscribe, etc. And check out the amazing Parabox Mystery t-shirt box at the link in the show notes. Good evening, Cryptid.